0: Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bible Provocateur. And I'm your host, Jonathan Eubanks, bringing you the Word of God, hoping to provoke you and to persuade you into believing that which is true, which is all true when it comes from the Word of God. We left off in Titus chapter 2, And in verse 14, where Paul says that Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Verse 15, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. And let no one despise you. This was Paul's admonition to the young Titus, who was being trained to train others. So we talked about the fact that Christ gave himself up for us. And that this is significant, because in order for Christ to give himself up, for us, there had to be a reason for that. And the reason for him giving himself up for us is what we all generally know. Is that we were sinners. And the relationship between God and man had been severed as a result of the fall and plunged men into utter ruin. Utter ruin, death, separation from God, the Father, separation from God, the Son, separation from God, the Holy Spirit. But God determined to reconcile that relationship between He and His creation, man he had to do something that no man could have ever predicted. However, all of the religious rites, all of those rituals that were given to the ancient Israelite nation should have seen through the ceremonies and rituals that they were given they should have seen what God was doing when Christ came, but they did not. They mishandled what they had learned, they mishandled the Messiah and added more problems to man's situation by killing the Messiah. So now, man had a sin problem and man is responsible to obey and to keep God's law perfectly. And the only way that any man can stand before God and gain entrance into heaven and to holy communion with him Eternity without end. The only way that that could happen is if he upheld and kept God's law perfectly. At no point could you start keeping God's law perfectly if you had ever sinned. One sin, one thought of a sin. In fact, I'll even go so far as to say the evil concupiscence, which is the seed which can enable you, which can enable you to think about the sin, is enough to condemn man. But man, as a result of the fall, his situation is even more dire, for as a result of the fall, all men were born dead in sin and trespasses bearing a sinful nature which is incapable of pleasing God because of the sin that exists within it. The world can be looked upon as a vast, vast cemetery of dead souls needing to be raised to a newness of life if they are going to be reconciled to Christ or I should say reconciled to God through Christ to be more technical and accurate so God gave himself up the Lord Jesus Christ he gave himself up for us why? because he could only do only he could do for us What we cannot do for ourselves, which is to amend the relationship between man and God. Jesus Christ, the second person of the divine Godhead, had to put on flesh. He had to become a man. Him becoming a man presumes that he was something other than a man before, and he was something but was he? He was part of that divine triunal essence. He was the second person of the divine Godhead. He was God. He was co-equal and co-eternal, co-omnipotent, co-omniscient with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He existed before he put on flesh. This is something that all of us need to understand. Christians, I know that most of you believe this and understand this, but I'm sure that the majority of those of you who believe and understand this don't necessarily know why. Christ, in his divine essence, according to his divine essence, always existed. He was eternal. He was there at creation. He was a participant in creation. When God said let there be light. In fact anytime. Where the Lord speaks. Christ in his pre-incarnate condition. Prior to putting on human flesh. He is the one who is speaking. He is the one who is speaking. When the scripture tells us, thus saith the Lord, this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, before he put on human flesh. That might be hard for a lot of people to swallow. But there's a reason why he was called the word there's a reason why it is said that the word became flesh and there's a reason why it is said that the word came and dwelt among men and that the word was god and that the word was with god the word is christ and this is who he was before He put on human flesh. So when Jesus Christ put on human flesh, it is according to his human nature that he has made himself subservient to the Godhead. Only according to his human flesh. But Christ was a dichotomy in his existence. In other words, he was God-man 100%. God and 100% man. He was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. When the scripture tells us that Christ did not know the timing of his return, he spoke consistent with that of being the God man. But according to his divine nature, he knows all things for he is all knowing. So moving on in chapter I'm sorry in chapter 2 of Titus in verse 14 it says that Christ gave himself up for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Now It says he gave himself up for us that he might redeem us. What does it mean to redeem? Redeem means to buy back. It means to buy back. He gave himself up for us to buy us back from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a special people. Now, we according to the law were enslaved to the law, condemned by the law, held captive by the law, waiting to receive our incarceration, if you will, but Christ gave himself up for us To redeem us from that destruction. To redeem us from every lawless deed, in fact. Lawless deed is anything that transgresses God's law. Every offense, every sin that we commit against God is a lawless deed. And must be paid for. Christ gave himself up for us because he is the only one who could afford to pay back the debt that we owed to God for our sin and for our offenses. Jesus Christ paid for our sin to redeem us from all of our lawless deeds. But he didn't just he didn't just redeem us from our lawless deeds but he also gave himself up for uh, gave himself up for us so that he could purify us for himself He purifies us for himself making us his own special people a special people who are zealous for good works. What does this tell us? This tells us that all of those who have been redeemed by Christ and from every lawless deed, they shall be purified. And their purification is for Christ. And those people are his special people. And no matter how you look at it, when the scriptures refers to God's special people, these are the called out, elect, chosen, predestined souls that God intends to save, that God decreed to save, and that Jesus Christ came to earth to give himself up for. But you need to understand. That in verse 14, Christ gave himself up for his own special people. Not all people. He gave himself up for his special people. Now how do we know who they are? We don't. We don't know. We believe that those who... Believe like us, are saved, and are among Christ's special people. But the only way that we can know for ourselves, if we are, is if we have repented. And if we have turned to Christ, our Savior, and been saved by his grace. And if we are zealous for good works, which are works which do glorify him. If we have repented and turned to Christ for our salvation and if we have found, are found ourselves seeking continuously to be obedient to him and always zealous for good works which do glorify his name, it is through this that we can understand and know that we are among his special people for all men are not his special people. All men do not determine If they are his special people, God is the one who determines and has determined who his special people are because he chose them to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's a fact. That is a fact. God's people must be zealous for good works. But keep in mind, only his people will ever truly be zealous for good works. And what are these good works? Well, as I stated, there are all those things which do glorify Christ. It is to be obedient to him through the means of grace that have been provided for us to show forth his glory and his praise. What are some of those things? Well, baptism is one of our sacraments. We do this once and we show openly, we show openly to the world that we have given up our lives, renounced our sins and have turned to Christ to save us from our sins. There's the Lord's table that we take forth the bread and the wine and do show show forth our love for him, our affiliation with him, and we show forth his death until he comes there is giving giving to the church giving to the ministries that are built to convey God's words to ministries to missionaries to evangelists to the building of churches to the teaching of of men and women the word of God in the in an academic from an academic standpoint. It is visiting the sick. It is visiting those who are imprisoned. It is doing good to those who cannot do good to you. It is getting in your knees on a regular basis and praying to God that he might do what he has promised he shall do. Prayer is a significant badge of where a person stands with relationship to Christ. Prayer is is a chief attribute of a mature believer who seeks God's face in all things. So these good works and many, many more there be. But we know, we bear witness in our consciences what it is that we must do in obedience and in service to our Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells Titus to speak about all these things, the qualifications of elders, the tasks of elders, the qualifications and the qualities of a sound church, to be trained by the saving grace of God. Paul tells Titus, To speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. He says, let no one despise you. Let no one look down on you. And the thing is, all of us can do well to learn from this admonition that we are also to speak about these things. In fact, we're to speak about all things that are contained in the word of God. And we are to exhort others. We're to exhort others. To remind them of these truths. To enhance and complement the suite of their understanding in order that they can be more rounded and more prepared to deal with the contentious and to educate the submissive. This is what the Christian faith is about. It is about being active. It is about showing forth to all men the praise and the glory and the honor that is due to our Lord and Savior. We are to speak these things and to exhort others and to rebuke with authority. To rebuke means to correct sharply those who are in error and who oppose themselves and who twist and rest the scriptures to their own destruction. We have to, at times, rebuke. And when we do, we must do it with authority. Which means that we need to be certain that what we are talking about, we know that it applies. We need to take the truths of the scriptures and apply them truthfully, faithfully, and honestly unhesitatingly but also with humility and meekness knowing that every rebuke that we disperse with we at one point at least have deserved if not the same rebuke but a series of others so it is incumbent upon us all to be humble. And to exercise humility, even and especially when we rebuke. And it says to rebuke with all authority. The authority is not ours, but it is given to us. It is given to us by Christ, who is the ultimate authority. And as long as we have sit, as long as we sit at his feet and learn and take in his word and study to show ourselves approved, workmen who need not to be ashamed, we can rebuke with all authority and with all support from our Lord and Savior if we have exercised ourselves well in the handling of God's Word. And then lastly, in verse 15, in this final part, in this last verse of chapter 2, Paul tells Titus to let no one despise you. And Paul is primarily dealing with Titus and telling him to let no one despise him because of his youth. Whenever you are exhorting others, whenever you rebuke others with authority, whenever you are speaking on these things to people, they will attempt to despise you. Others will scorn you. They will mock you. They will tell you that you are too young. You don't know as much as they do. You haven't had experiences that they have had. You haven't gone to seminary. You don't have a church. I know where you came from. I never saw you learning any of this. Who made you an authority over me? The list goes on and on and on. Those who ought to hear you will be quick to try to dismiss you and to discredit you. And what you have to say, generally speaking, is not going to be well received. I try to tell believers all the time, being a Christian is very difficult. It is not easy. But, time flies. Christian brothers and sisters, stay sober-minded, stay vigilant. Remain a watchman, guarding the citadel of faith. Protecting the bulwark of our faith. Never be silent. Never be silent. You who mention God never cease to mention him. Always be quick and ready to give an account for those who would have a question of you when it comes to the word of God. There is no advantage in you being silent And there is no advantage in letting anyone despise you. Don't let men's faces scare you or frighten you and cause them to quiet you down because they will try. Let no one discredit your person because you have been sanctioned by the Almighty to speak freely to all, to any and everywhere and at any time. Let no one despise you. That is the end of Titus chapter 2. And next message um, I will pick up in Titus chapter 3, which is the last book or the last chapter of the book of Titus. May God bless you all. And may you always seek to give honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a simple message today, but I hope that you are encouraged thereby. And I pray that you will be a blessing to as many as you come across. And I hope that I can bless you and I hope that you can bless me as well. So until the next time, be provoked and be persuaded. This is the Bible Provocateur. And I'm out. Until next time. May God bless you all.